where we, we just dipped back one verse into two weeks ago, where he picks up uh, the talk of food. And just if you recall, the, the reason why food is contrasted with grace in this verse is because in many ways the, the Jewish uh, Mosaic law in, in the everyday observance of it could be kind of wrapped up in defining what food they would eat. This food is clean, this food is unclean, this food, uh, there's no danger in it making you holy. If you eat this food, you are unholy, and you, you need to repent of that. But that's contrasted with the grace that we walk in under the new covenant. So that's why he speaks of that. So he says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. So Jesus also suffered outside the gates in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. As we lead up to communion here this morning, I think that it's very significant in our passage as we will see and focus on. That we are remembering as a part of celebrating the Lord's Supper that Jesus. He suffered outside the gates, outside Jerusalem. And he did so in order to sanctify us through his blood. To sanctify those who will live by this new covenant with God through Jesus' blood, the blood of the new covenant. Well, we look here this morning at the blessing of being an outcast for Christ. What? The blessing of being an outcast? Really, the crux of the whole application section, which is only chapter 13 of this letter to the Hebrews, the crux of this section is found in verse 13, where he says, Therefore, let us go out to him, outside the camp, and bear the reproach that he endured. The rise of our, this cancel culture that we live in today is a major reason why I believe the Lord led us to study this book of Hebrews. This idea that as we are told more and more, it's okay if you believe those things as long as you don't let your beliefs affect your life outside of this sanctuary. That's when it's going to be a problem for you. That's when we're going to make it a problem for you. This has been a part of following Christ from the very beginning. 
and this certainly was a part for these jews who as they followed christ were cast away from their friends and the main idea here this morning is that following christ means partaking in his perfect offering for sin making a difference from the religious people around us and making it possible for us to worship god with both our words and our You know, there, there's every coin has two sides of it. And so, if you will, we have been educated, we have been instructed throughout this letter to the Hebrews on God's view, God, the, the, the coin, if you will, of following Christ from God's perspective, the spiritual perspective, the heavenly perspective, the covenant perspective. We've learned that, that Jesus is far greater than any angel any leader or prophet or patriarch of Israel. We've learned that the priesthood of Jesus predates the Old Testament law. That he was made perfect forever, not according to the, to the priesthood of Levi, but according to the priesthood of Melchizedek. We've learned that the temple itself in Jerusalem is just a model of the one in heaven that Jesus entered into, offering the final offering for his followers. We've learned that he is the great high priest who, having made offering for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God Almighty. His work done. We learned that rather than constantly bringing offerings for sin, Jesus not only made one offering, he offered his own blood. He offered himself as a sacrifice that permanently, it doesn't just cover sin, it makes perfect forever those who trust in him. We learn that Jesus' single offering of himself makes it so that we stand perfect before God, as I said. We've learned that God's covenant love is now poured out on his children according to the new covenant that was inaugurated by Jesus, by his own blood, which he spoke of in the upper room. We've learned that even the heroes of the Old Testament, this is from God's perspective saying, I got a little secret for you. They were all saved by faith too. They lived by faith. Just as you're called to live in relationship with God, by faith faith. We've learned that having a relationship with God by faith in Christ means that we can come boldly before his throne to find grace and help in time of need. And we've learned to believe that Jesus is all this because, but to sit on the fence, to believe all of this about Jesus mentally, but to sit on the fence about whether it's worth it to follow him is to be in danger of turning away from him, from him saying, I think I'm going to go back to my old way of relating to God. All these truths are God's side of the coin, if you will, that we've been informed of through, through the first 12 chapters of the book of Hebrews. But there's a side of the coin for Christ followers that, have, that we have experienced for centuries as his followers. It is the ostracism and canceling that has come with aligning ourselves with our invisible king. So the first and most important step of the blessing of being an outcast with Christ is to trust Christ's sacrifice to set you apart as holy. 
We're told we have an altar from which those who serve the tent, in the tent, this being the tabernacle of, of where, where sacrificial offerings were made to provide for God's passing over sin, we have an altar from which those who serve in the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Now, obviously, this dips back. If you've been with us through Hebrews and been listening, this is like firing off all these understandings of the tabernacle and the, the ministry of the priest and even the high priest. And, and um, that, that, but maybe what we haven't covered here is, is many of these offerings were able to be eaten from. A person that was giving a peace offering for God was then able to also sit down and eat from that offering. The, the priests were able to eat from many of the offerings, the grain offerings or the meat offerings. But there were sacrifices that no one was allowed to eat from. One of those being the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, which the priest, after sacrificing for himself to, to allow God to pass over his sins, would then the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies with the offering of the, the atoning sacrifice. And placing that blood on the altar before God, that sacrifice, no one would eat of that animal. It would be burned. It would be removed and burned. And I think he's referring to this day of atonement sacrifice. And the, the altar that we have to partake of, it's not a physical altar, but is that which God, Christ bore the offering of himself. And his sacrifice did not atone for sins. But recall back that the first step into this conversation was about let's be strengthened by grace under the new covenant, not by foods through the old covenant process. We, we have something of a sacrifice that has been made for us that is far better than any of those sacrifices that they could eat from. In fact, it's even better than the Day of Atonement that they could not eat from. Christ's sacrifice didn't just atone for sins, it paid for them. It didn't just cover over sins of the worshiper. His sacrifice makes us sanctified, holy, set apart for God. And in trusting Christ as our Savior, we are recognizing that my sins were paid for by Christ in his sacrifice. And Christ's righteousness is offered to me. And that I have the opportunity to accept God's offer to be my father rather than my judge. And I can stand holy before him in the righteousness of Christ. All of that in simply receiving that from God. And it is indicated to us that he has answered us by his indwelling Holy Spirit. It was no small thing for a Jew who trusted Christ as Messiah to say, no, I don't need to go to the temple. It's, it has no value to me anymore. It was no small thing for them. They would eventually be treated as the worst of sinner, as, as being unclean, 
They would be looked at by their friends and family and being like, you got a pile of sins to deal with. Because they were looking at them through their understanding of the old covenant. The privilege that we have under the new covenant goes far beyond the sacred altar of God's holy of holies and the sacrifice of atonement. That blood of atonement was just as sprinkled as it was sprinkled on the altar and the body of that sacrifice of atonement was disposed of outside of the camp rather than Eden. So also Jesus, our saving sacrifice, suffered outside of the camp, not just to atone for sins, but to make a people holy for himself. As one writer says, when the Jew would leave the temple sacrifices in order to place his faith in their fulfillment, the crucified, risen Messiah, he would be separated thus, set apart from that Judaism which he had formerly espoused. So as they were experiencing this being set apart and separated, they're being encouraged that this is just a sign that God has set you apart and sanctified you. For himself. That sounds like a win to me. And the writer might be was flipping their rejection on its head saying, darn right we're separated from our countrymen. We're set apart to God. You know, imagine if you will, you know those galley ships that would have rowers in the, in, down in the belly of the ship. Imagine, if you will, a whole range of men down there rowing and rowing, and there was a system like, like once you reached seniority and, and you moved up in, in the rows to the front of the ship, and then you served there at the oars for five years, then you could finally be set free. And at the next port that the ship would come to, they'd give you a, enough money for one night of partying hard and say, enjoy your freedom. And that that was the system that these men were, were raised in, were trained for, were living in. But then one day the captain comes down and picks out one of these rowers, one of these oarmen, and takes him up to the deck and says, you've been set free. And he comes to realize that on the boat that day is the king. And the king has been looking for one person to free and to adopt because he wants the, the symbol of his grace, the symbol of his goodness to show the span of the distance that his adopted child has come from. That they're going to be made an heir to the kingdom. Do you think the freed young man is going to miss their old life? Do you think they're going to say, shouldn't I be back to the oars? I got some rowing to do. It's a little, it would be a little bit easier in that picture to have the king standing before them, to feel the, the, the washing of the mire and the sweat and the new clothes put on him and the ring put on his finger. It's a little more difficult when your king is invisible right now, isn't it? Thank the Lord for the testimony of the Holy Spirit to us. It's normal for us to worry at times. Could it really be that my sins are just forgiven? That I made a child of the king of the universe? Our default is to think that our sins must be atoned for. They must be made up for. 
And like following the old covenant or the new covenant, a person is either going to try to make up for their sins or to accept God's forgiveness. That's old covenant thinking or new covenant thinking. Those are the only two options. But here's the deal. One of them doesn't work anymore. That's what Hebrews has told us. There no longer exists a sacrifice for sins. Meaning outside of Christ. Trust Christ's sacrifice to set you apart as holy. With today's cancel culture, I want to encourage you to embrace your outcast status with Jesus. We're told, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Now, when he speaks of the gate, he's speaking of the city of Jerusalem where Jesus was taken out of and crucified on Calvary. And then he, he switches from gate to camp. Therefore, let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. You ever feel like you're, I'm outside the camp now. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. To be outside the camp is to be, was to be understood camp is more of tabernacle, traveling through the wilderness imagery of the nation of Israel. To be outside of the camp was to be outside of the blessing of being God's privileged people. Every now and then, as I read F.F. Bruce on this, he just kind of goes off, and I, and I love it, and I thought I'd share one of these with you. He says, in this context, the camp stands for the established fellowship and ordinances of Judaism. To abandon them with all their sacred associations inherited from remote antiquity was a hard thing, but it was a necessary thing. They had been accustomed to thinking of the camp and all that was inside it as sacred and everything outside it was profane and unclean. Were they to leave its sacred precincts and venture on to unsacred ground? Yes, because in Jesus the old values had been reversed. What was formerly sacred was now unsacred because Jesus had been expelled from it. What was formerly unsacred was now sacred because Jesus was there. You see how these readers are experiencing this flip? Many of you are probably experiencing that in our culture. What used to reinforce your family values, what re used to reinforce your biblical work ethic, what used to encourage you to practice your faith in the public square, not anymore. The readers were to be encouraged that they no longer needed to be concerned about being accepted by their Jewish family and friends. In fact, being rejected by them because of Christ is just a byproduct of following Christ. This is what Peter acknowledged when he said there's, when, when Jesus was, was uh, so many of his followers departed from following him and he turns to the twelve and he says, are you going to go too? And Peter acknowledged, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That sounds like a win to me. 
Imagine again this, this, this young man who's been brought up onto the deck, who's been made a child of the king, who, who's been washed and he's got robes on and, and a ring on his finger. Imagine when his, when his old compadres from, from down below get their, you know, their once every five hour break up on the, on the dock. You know, they rotate up there and they're kind of getting to smell the fresh air and, and uh, you know, rest a little bit and drink some water. And they look over and they're like, are you going to row in that? Uh, hey, by the way, I, I took your spot. And by the way, I heard that when you come back down, you're going to be demoted all the way back to the back of the boat. You better get back down there. You better get to it. What are you doing up here? Don't you understand? In the same way, people can be thinking with, hey, you you got to be following the trends right now. You got to be you got to be uh, obeying the self righteousness of today. And it is such a screwed up self righteousness, where people feel like they're righteous because they eat vegan, but it doesn't matter who they sleep with. And you know that that that'll change. It's like it's like licking your finger and feeling the wind. What makes me righteous today? Our righteousness comes from the fact that we've been made a child of the king. Sounds like a win to me. We're not going to find lasting acceptance or significance or security by embracing this world. We, we, and we can't embrace Christ and embrace, embrace also the religious spirituality of this world. And leaving the religious spirituality comes with rejection. And we should embrace it as a part of following our Savior. This world thinks that we're bigots. It thinks that we're bigots for saying that Jesus is the only way to know your Creator. This world thinks we're judgmental when we explain that knowing Christ should change your life. And if it hasn't, that makes me concerned for you, my friend. Oh, you're just being judgmental. This world thinks that we're disrespecting someone for not allowing them to disrespect God and choose their own pronouns. Christ's final sacrifice, which makes us holy before God, was made while he was being rejected. Let's join our Savior and embrace the rejection that he experienced and that also brought us salvation. Now, I'm not talking about being a jerk, okay? And I'm not talking about equating espousing right-wing politics with being a Christian. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about. Self-righteousness has no place in following Christ. And I don't care if it's a self-righteousness on the left or a self-righteousness on the right. I'm not talking about picking fights on Facebook and then being able to say, well, I'm just experiencing the rejection of Christ. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about living out our faith and being willing to say, Christ is supposed to change your life, friend. Being willing to say, Christ is the only way to God, family member. Our Savior that we are to embrace may not provide us with physical comfort now, but his physical city will come one day, 
in which we will have every tear wiped away. And every joy and satisfaction will be found in Him and in Him alone. So start enjoying it now in Him. So aside from embracing our rejection as identifying with Christ, we're also to actively worship God constantly in word and in deed. This is kind of, it's, it's temple priesthood terminology where we are now making sacrificial offerings. We're bringing sacrifices to God. Where he says, through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Do you know that Christ has not only made you holy, he has made you one of his priests. We're told in 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen race, a, holy, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Recall what Jesus tells the woman at the well in John 4 when she wants to debate whether we should be worshiping at the temple in Jerusalem or, or if where the Samaritans were worshiping, if that was acceptable or not. Jesus tells them, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. That's new covenant worship. Worshiping constantly with our whole selves through Christ. Right? Notice that. Through Him. It's always through Him. We don't graduate somewhere to where like, man, I've reached the plane where my worship doesn't need to come through Christ. God just recognizes me for for my righteousness on its own. No. We always stand in God's grace in a relationship with him. Or as one writer says, how easy it is for suffering saints to complain, but how important it is for them to, be, to give thanks to God, worshiping with our lips. This time that we spend together here every week is very important to God. And if it becomes more difficult for us In our changing culture, to do so, it will be no less important to God. These believers who might return home from church and find their business spray painted, if you, I don't know what they would have used in first century, mud or something like that, and find it painted with, um, you know, Jesus lover, or outcast. These believers are the ones that were told, do not neglect assembling together, as is the habit of some. And as that pressure increases for us, we have the same call as well, to worship God together. Notice where offerings of praise come from, fruits of lips that are that acknowledge his name. If you are accustomed to acknowledging our Lord and King to others, these offerings of praise come easy. 
It's just the fruit of it. Praise just appears like fruit. Or as one writer puts it, lips accustomed to acknowledge God will be constantly singing his praise. And so aside from worshiping with our words, God cares about our deeds too. We should, be, we should be doing good to others and sharing with what we have. And I think he's specifically speaking of our relationship with one another. This term for sharing is koinonia, which many of you recognize that as the koine Greek uh, term for fellowship among the believers. That our fellowship in many ways The depth and its value is found in how much we meet each other's physical needs. You know, just like that young man that goes from serving at the oars to being elevated to a child of the king, from that point forward, everywhere he goes, that has become his identity. That has become who he represents. That has become what people recognize him as. But just like we serve an invisible king, we can be tempted to make our allegiance to him invisible. And that is not what we should do. These believers were being singled out with their fellow believers, their fellow church goers who were being persecuted, they were being singled out as they would join in with their suffering. But they were embracing that. That day came as well. But let's practice joining in with one another in our suffering now. Do you care about pleasing God? If so, lift up your praise and care for one another's needs. Jesus' sacrifice is the basis of our new covenant relationship. In our our new covenant worship. And we respond with our own sacrifices of praise and giving. Of our service and our treasure. Everywhere you go can be turned into a worship sanctuary. Any moment in time you can worship the God in word and deed as one of his priests, a holy priesthood. And notice, everywhere the need, everywhere and every need should be turned into a moment of worship as we're told to do this continually. It is not a notice to us about the opportunity that we have to worship with God Worship God with everything. This is a notice to us of the responsibility that we have as Christ followers to worship God with everything. And all of this could only be made possible as we're told in verse 12. Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Rather than them returning regularly to ensure that God would pass over their sins, as we're told in Romans 3, God was passing over the former sins so that he might pour them out on Christ. 
And this is describing that moment of his suffering, his being cast out from his people, of when they were saying, okay, you know what? We're really going to make a statement here. We're going to take him outside of the city, and we're going to put him up on a hill, and we're going to crucify him, and everybody's going to see he ain't worth nothing. And all of that's done with the understanding that we who follow him, especially those that would read this, would need to look at his suffering body and say, it's that, if that's where my Savior is, if that's where my Lord is, then that's where I belong. And as we recall in communion, in the Lord's Supper, the celebration of this Lord's Supper, this one of two ordinance that God gave to us to practice together, we are encouraged to think of the broken body of our Lord. We are encouraged to think of the spilt blood of our saving sacrifice. I am constantly amazed. I've shared this before. I am constantly amazed that God calls for us to draw back to and remember regularly his son's most humbling moment. His son's moment of his greatest rejection. And I would hope that as we partake of it, we think of and we pray, we wonder, how, Lord, do you want me to experience this with your son? But thank you, Lord, first of all, that he did it for me. First Corinthians eleven, twenty three through twenty six, the apostle Paul explains that he received from the Lord what he also delivered to them, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper. And this statement is so significant, especially for our time in Hebrews. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It began then. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, Paul says, until he comes. What are we seeking? We're not seeking this city that we may be driven out of. We're seeking a city that is to come. When the Lord comes. Of course we practice here. Open communion. Which means. If you have a relationship with the Lord. You are welcome. To come. As we sing to one of these three tables. Two in the back. And one in the front. And partake of it. There. Or take it back to your seat. And, and partake it as you see fit. Uh, we're actually going to go through two songs this morning. Uh, to be able to reflect. And to. To be able to take communion together. Um, but let's bow our heads together at this time.